So last week we started a brand new series called Savage Jesus. And didn't our campus pastors do a great job last week launching this series? Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to give a great shout out to Pastor Aaron, Pastor Brent, and also Pastor Cody. Last week was Pastor Cody's first talk ever. And I thought he did a fantastic job. Did he not? Awesome. Appreciate that. When my wife and I were sitting at home, we, we dialed into the online, uh, the online viewing and, and we're sitting there at nine o'clock and I'm like, man, he's really doing a good job. You know, that was good. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, making good points. And, and then all of a sudden he started telling some stories about his life and I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden the tears start running down my face and, and Jackie was sitting right next to me and I'm like trying to like hide from her. Like, is she going to see me, you know, but I couldn't stop. I just kept crying. And then finally I was like, you know what the heck with it? I'm crying. Like, get yourself together dude, you know, come on. No, God really worked through Cody last week. Super, super proud of all of our uh, campus pastors. And they launched a great series. So essentially last week we, we started talking about our image or our view or our vision of what Jesus is really like. And for many of us, we grew up in, in, a, in a situation where maybe in Sunday school, we learned about how Jesus was this super, gem, super gentle, super loving, super compassionate person, and he was just kind. And, and maybe, maybe you were taught in Sunday school like I was with flannel graph. This is real, authentic flannel graph. And, and I remember they would put little Jesus, up, little Jesus up there, and there was always like a kid in his lap and a little lamb in his arms. And I just always remember, you know, like, oh, he's a white American. Which is not true, but anyway, he just, and he always had this long, you know, luxurious shampooed hair, as Cody said last week. Um, and I just, I just, it was just always tickled me that he always kind of wanted to, you know, get up in Jesus' lap. And he was so kind. Kind of reminded me of Mr. Rogers. Just that, just, oh, like, you know, I just want to be in his neighborhood. And I just want to be his friend and maybe help him take his shoes off or, his, or put his sweater on. I don't know. But I just always had this image that, that Jesus was just so super gentle and so super. And he is. He really, really is. Like, he's so gentle and so kind that he would, in the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, you know, he would get on a knee and he would heal a, a, a leper who was like, whose body was falling apart and, you know, deformed and he would you know, just get on his level, or, or a little, a little uh, baby girl uh, who, was, who, was, who died, a 12-year-old girl, and he would, he would go into her bedroom, he would bring her back to life, or, or a blind person that couldn't see, he was so gentle that he would touch that guy and, and heal him. And so, yes, Jesus is super gentle and super compassionate and kind. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus in Isaiah 42, verse 3, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Think of it. A piece of grass that's, that's bent. Jesus is so gentle that he, he, he could take care of a, a broken reed. Or he can hold a candle in his hand that's about to go out. And he's so gentle, he's so kind that it, it won't go out. He is that. He is super compassionate. And we need him to be, don't we? And that's one side of the, the coin. Then there's this other side of the coin that maybe we haven't necessarily learned about so much. And the only word that I think could describe it or describe him fairly is this word savage. In the Urban Dictionary, savage, savage is defined as, you know, bold and courageous and, and somewhat crazy and a person who takes action and they don't really care about what other people think. And, and you look into the New Testament and sometimes you see Jesus acting totally 
savage. And the person that I reminded of sometimes when I'm reading the New Testament is, is you know, Mel Gibson from Braveheart. <laughs> it's like, I think of Jesus this way sometimes. I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of Braveheart or not or William Wallace, but when I watch that movie and especially in the scenes when his face is painted blue, I want to go grab a sword and I want to get a horse and I want to jump into the fight and I want to chase the English out of Scotland, you know, and I want to use the accent and I want to I wanna chop someone's head off and reach my hand into their chest and pull their heart out and eat it. Okay. 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 I watched too many movies. I probably took that too far, but, but, but you get the idea. Like Jesus sometimes would do things that, that would just inspire you. And, and they were just counter, like, like talk, like the pastor said last week, talk to the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him. The water obeyed Jesus. That is totally savage. Like, who can do that? No one. Only God. No wonder in the Old Testament, he, he spoke to the water and, it, and the Red Sea parted. No wonder. Only God could do that. Totally savage. I don't know about you, but if I'm in some trouble, which is, happens in my life, I'm not going to call upon Mr. Rogers. Like, this is, this is not the type of Jesus that, oh, there goes the kid. Watch out. <laughs> Save the children, Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> like, th if this is my image of Jesus, like, when I'm in trouble, I'm not calling out to this guy. I'm calling out to the, to the Jesus that, that can talk to a storm. And it says, yes, sir. We will chill out. That's the one. In the, in the, in the Psalms, it says, our God is a, a, a refuge, a, a place of safety in times of trouble. Why are we doing this series? Here's why. It's very simple. Campus pastors told us last week, your vision of Jesus shapes your faith. Your vision of Jesus, your concept of him, what is he actually like? It shapes how you relate to him. It determines how you pray. It determines if you're going to live in fear or you're going to have courage or give in to worry. Like your vision of Jesus shapes the way you relate to him. I'm here to tell you today, yes, he is gentle. Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, he can hold a little child in his arms. But man, he's also a complete savage sometimes. Let's talk about it. I want to talk to you today about a, a scene, a scenario that I've never talked about in 12 years from this stage as the pastor. I never really saw the relevance of it. It's always been a good story to me, but I thought, well, why would I preach about that? There's really, there's really no insight there or for application, but I think there is. It's the story of when Jesus cleanses the temple. And it's a pretty famous story because it's one of the only stories that we, we actually see Jesus maybe get angry. Like, whoa, what's this all about? <laughs> That's interesting. And then we kind of move on. <laughs> You know, maybe that was an anomaly, you know, because this is our image. This is our, our vision of Jesus. So we don't know what to do with the cleansing of the temple, right? I actually thought it was one scenario, but it actually happened twice. It happened in the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. It also happened at the end of his ministry in Mark chapter 11. Interesting, I didn't know that. Well, I want to look at one, I want to look at the first scenario where he cleansed the temple in John chapter 2. Follow along with me. Uh, on the screen here. John chapter 2, it says this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem, as did all the other Jewish people. All the other Jewish people were required to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover was a seven-day celebration where all of the Jews were celebrating what? Do you remember? 
the deliverance of the Israelites out of bondage, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It's a celebration. It was designed to be a celebration where, where they would say, you know, remember what God did to Pharaoh. Remember the plagues. Remember how the, the, the Red Sea parting. Remember how he brought us through. And then when the Egyptians tried to follow, he closed them in on the water. Remember the Passover where the death angel came across everybody and killed the firstborn son of all of, of, all of Egypt, except for the firstborn of ours because we put the blood over their doors. Okay. There's a lot more to it, but that's essentially it. It's a cel- it was a celebration, and all of the Jews were required to be there. So let's look at what happens. In the temple area, he saw, Jesus saw, merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. That's important. We'll get to that in a second. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging money. Now, the situation is this. The temple was basically rebuilt after the design of the first temple, which was built by King Solomon. It was an exact replica of what King Solomon built. Let me show you a picture of the temple. This is where Jesus enters into right here. This is the outer court of the temple. And then when you move inside, there's this place called the holy place where the priests were only allowed to go. And then beyond that, beyond the curtain, there was this place called the holy of holies, which was designed for the priests to go in one time a year and offer sacrifices for sins for the people uh, for the for the people of Israel inside the holy of holies in Solomon's temple was the ark of the covenant that was basically a box that had inside of it the ten commandments it also had Moses's staff and on top of the ark of the covenant between two uh, golden angels cherubim cherubim can't say that right uh, was was this little place designed for the actual what was called the Shekinah glory or the very presence of God. So this, this inner uh, sanctuary here, the Holy of Holies, was where God himself lived. Okay, I know, maybe you've never heard this before. That's just the way it was. Now, in the New Testament, when they rebuilt the temple, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, but they still had the place called the Holy of Holies. So Jesus walks into the temple and what does he see? He sees all these animals and these money changers and all this stuff going on. Let's watch what happens. Something crazy happens. All of a sudden, Jesus made a whip. Okay, that's strange to me. And then he does something with the whip that he made from the ropes. He chased them all out of the temple. Watch what happens. He drove out the sheep, the cattle, and he scattered the money changers, the money changers coins over the flo- all over the floor, and he turned over or he flipped over the tables. Then he went over to those who were selling doves because some people couldn't afford sheep and all that stuff, and he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a, say it with me, a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered a prophecy in verse 17. Watch this. Passion for God's house will consume me. What in the world's going on? Jesus walks into the temple. He sees all these animals. He sees these money changers. And he freaks out. (laughs) What do we make of this? Let Let me give you a little context before I help you understand why Jesus is upset. In those days, you, you needed, each Jewish person needed to have an animal to sacrifice, to offer as a sacrifice for their sins. So if you didn't bring an animal with you, you could purchase one. And you needed the temple shekel, which was the coin, to purchase the animal. And every Jewish person was also required to pay half a shekel of tax. 
So if you came from Egypt or Ethiopia or somewhere else for, and you didn't have the temple shekel, you had to exchange your money and get the temple shekel so you could pay the tax. And if you didn't have an animal, you didn't bring one, you had to buy an animal. So to have animals and money exchangers close to the temple or in the temple was not necessarily wrong. You needed, those were required by the law. So that begs the question, why is Jesus so upset? There needed to be animals there. There needed to be money exchangers there. What's the deal? Why is, I mean, think about this situation. There's animals, there's doves, there's cattle, there's sheep. Jesus walks in, he sees the money changers, and he gets so upset that he makes a whip and he starts to drive these animals out. I mean, think of this scene, right? There's animals running in all different directions. There's, there's sheep going, you know, there's, there's cows going, I mean, I mean, people are running, animals are running, birds are flying, tables get flipped, coins are hit. Can you imagine the sound? Can you imagine the smell, the pandemonium? of the people, the owners of the sheep, the owners of the money, the money. This is a nutty scenario. There's dust flying, animals running, poop everywhere. <laughs> there is. What would make him do that? It's always been a question, right? If you read the New Testament. Well, let me, let me, let me take a shot at it. The Passover was designed to be a moment in time, this seven-day period, where all of the Israelites were to focus in their life on what God has done for them, what he had done for them, his deliverance, his power, his glory, his character, the fact that he chose them, his love. It was a time where they were supposed to be God-centered or refocus their entire life on who God is and what he has done for them. And here Jesus walks in, and he sees all this busyness, all these animals, all this money, and he starts flipping tables. What could be going on here? Well, in Mark chapter 11, the second time he cleansed the temple, do you remember what he said when he flipped the tables? He said, my father's temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. What was going on? Here's what was going on. And this is why Jesus was so upset. He wasn't upset that there were animals in the church. He wasn't, or the temple, sorry, I didn't mean to say church. He wasn't upset that there were people, money changers there. He was upset that the priests and the families of the priests and the friends of the priests were taking this opportunity that was supposed to be focused on God, the remembrance of who God is, his power, his glory, his love. They were taking this seven-day opportunity to make money. The temple was defiled by greed. What they were doing with this, they were overcharging. When people were coming in with a foreign coin and getting it exchanged for the temple shekel, they were over, they were gouging the wages like people do around here with their hotels when there's a big event. Oh, they jacked the prices up. Why? Because they know people have to pay. They were gouging the wages. They were charging more than they should. And here it is, the very people, the very religious leaders, the priests and the families of the priests are turning this opportunity to focus on God and remember God into an opportunity to line their pockets and get wealthy. And Jesus will have none of it. And so he freaks out and makes a whip and chases them out and flips the tables and coins are flying and it's pandemonium. And you know what I find so interesting about this story? Is that not a single 
solitary person tried to stop him. No one who owned the sheep or the cattle or the doves, no one who, who was there exchanging money, no one stood up to Jesus and said, hey, who do you think you are? This isn't, that we're allowed to do this. These people need animals. You just need to calm down. Put that whip on. No one stepped to him. Was it because he could bench press 250? What do you think? Was it because he had a lot of hair on his chest? What do you think? I don't think so. Why did not a single person step up and try to stop this pandemonium, this chaos? Maybe, speculation, Maybe they saw something in his eyes. Maybe they saw what John saw when he was writing the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Totally, completely savage. Maybe they saw his eyes and there was flames coming out. And they're like, oh dude, go ahead, chase him out. I'm out of here. I mean, the author of Hebrews says this about God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever watched fire consume land in California or out west? It takes everything in its path. Doesn't matter if it's houses, crops, hotels. Fire consumes everything when it's out of control. That is God. Sometimes. Aren't you glad not all the time? Sometimes he can hold a piece of grass that's about to die and not kill it. Sometimes he can hold a candle that's about to go out and it won't. But sometimes he is completely savage. And I think that's why people saw it. I think the money changers saw it. I think the people who own the animals saw it and they were like, okay, okay, whatever's going on in your world, you have your way. We're not stepping up to this guy. Maybe they felt his presence. I mean, Jesus had this presence about him. And if you're a reader of the New Testament, you see it. If you're careful and you look for it, like sometimes Jesus would walk through a crowd and people would reach out to touch him and then, and then they would get healed just because they touched him. One time Jesus said, who touched me? <laughs> and nobody knew because it was such a huge crowd. And then they found the woman. And what happened was power left his body and the woman was healed. Maybe they felt that power around him when he started flipping those tables, when he started cracking the whip, and they're like, ooh, something's up with this guy. Do you remember when Judas brought a bunch of soldiers and the chief priests to the Garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus arrested? Anybody remember that scene? With the, he betrayed him with a kiss. Judas shows up with this band, like Jesus is some revolutionary, right? Soldiers. What did he bring soldiers for? I don't know. Shows up. Jesus says, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You know what Jesus says in response? I am he. John chapter 18, verse 6. When Jesus said the words, I am he, watch this. They all drew back and they fell on their you know what. Jesus was using the force before Luke Skywalker even knew what it was. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we love the zoom, zoom, zoom. I mean, he would talk and people would, the, the whole group fell down. All of the soldiers, these are men, 200 pounds, 215 pound men. They fall on their rumps. Why? Because he spoke three words. Can you imagine if he would have lifted his hand? What would have happened? This guy is savage where he can talk and people fall. And here he is flipping tables and, and cracking a whip. I think they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have your way. Do whatever you want. We're done. 
Now, I think that's a pretty cool story. But you might be thinking, as I did for many years, yeah, but what's the, what's the relevance of it? Like, how does that apply to me? And that's why I've never preached about it, because I never saw the connection before. But I think there is a huge connection for us today. See, when you open up the New Testament, you quickly find out, as you read and read carefully, that God doesn't dwell in temples anymore. Like, his home is not in a building anymore. Where is his home? If we read it carefully, what we find out that God's... Yet your body is now God's temple. That his home is now in your soul, in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Paul dispels it out for us. He just writes it for us. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Why does he use the word temple? Because he understands that the Jewish people would, would, would know he's making a reference to the Old Testament temple, the Holy of Holies where God would dwell, the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. Don't you understand that, that you are now God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit dwells where? In you. Like when a person trusts in Christ, when they put their faith in Christ, God's Spirit comes to live inside of them. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Every human has a place in their chest designed to be God's home. You do and I do. Even if you're not a believer today, even if you're a skeptic and you don't have faith in Jesus, but you're checking it out, your soul is designed to house God. And maybe he can take up residence there today. But if you're a Christian and you've already done it, guess what? This is his home. He doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells in your chest. And the same way that, that the, the Israelites defiled the temple with greed, guess what? You and I run the risk of defiling our temple. With what? <laughs> I mean, there's lots of options out there today, folks. Right? Temptations everywhere. Greed is certainly one of them. Materialism. Sexual sin of all kinds. Pornography. Single people having sex with people that they're not married to. People who are married having sex with people that they're not married to. Sexual sins running rampant all over the place. Anger is a big one. All of this, all of this stuff defiles the temple. Coveting, wanting what other people have. Jealousy, gossip, addiction, alcoholism, addiction to all kinds of pills and prescriptions, this and the heroin. There's a huge opioid problem in our country today. All of it defiles the temple. There's lots of options we can choose from to defile the temple. Selfishness, pride, ego, all of it defiles the temple. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the, to the group of Christians there who happened to be struggling with sexual sin. But it didn't have to be sexual sin. It could be any sin. But I want you to hear how he's trying to help them to overcome the sexual sin. He appeals to this idea that God dwells in your soul. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize? Come on, you, should, you guys should know this by now. That your body is the, say it with me, the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who lives where? Not in buildings, but in you. And he was given to you by God. When? When you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God was given to you. He now dwells within your chest. Therefore, listen, you do not belong to yourself. You're like a, a leased car. you got to give it back. You don't own yourself. You were bought with a very high price. And what price was that? The very blood of the Son of God. 
that was spilled on the cross. The precious blood of which one drop could forgive you of all of your sin, should you trust in him. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, or the word in the New Living Translation is so, or in light of this truth that the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're not your own, you were purchased with a price. Therefore, you must what? Honor God with your temple. Honor God with your body. What, what does that mean? In, in, right in here in your chest, in your soul. Do not let it be defiled by greed or lust or materialism or anger or jealousy or whatever it is. Keep it clean. This is the argument he's making to these people who are dealing with sexual sin. Get it out. He's, he's saying the same thing that Jesus did when he made that whip and he chased the animals out. And he, he wasn't chasing animals out. He wasn't chasing money changers out. He was chasing what? Greed out. And we can defile our temple in the same way that they defiled the temple in Jesus' time. The connection here for us, and please hear this message, and I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that you would hear this, this particular point. This is absolutely true. Jesus is just as passionate about your temple as he was about the temple. He wants it totally and completely pure and clean. And he is willing to do whatever it takes. He's willing for you to get caught. He's willing to take this sermon and use it to convict you. He's willing to bother your conscience He's willing to do whatever it takes. If he has to flip over tables, crack the whip, make a whip, whatever it takes. Why? Because he's just as passionate about your temple being pure as he was about. Why? Because this is the place where God dwells. And God and sin, they, they, they don't mix. They're not good partners. And that's the argument that Paul is making. I love the way John says it in the last sentence of the first letter of John. You have to understand the New Testament is not just written by all one person. It's a bunch of different letters written by different people to different groups of people. John says this in the last sentence of his first letter. Dear children, keep away from anything, anything. The love of money or anger or lust or worry or fear, anxiety or addictions, or alcohol, whatever. Stay away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And another version, the English Standard Version, it says, stay away from idols completely. Do not let anything rival God's place in your chest. It belongs to him. He's number one. He purchased you. Make it comfortable for him. Make it pure for him. Make it holy for him. Is this making sense? So my question to you is a simple one today, and it's one I try to ask myself all the time. What would Jesus, what does Jesus want to chase out of your temple? What does he want to make a whip about? What, what does he want to flip tables over? Is it the love of money? Is it the same thing in the Old Testament for the, for the Israelites? And all you're thinking about is, how can I get rich? How can I get rich? How? Like, is that it? The love of money? Like, what is it? Is it coveting? You're always looking what other people have. I wish I had that. I wish I had. Is it jealousy? 
Is it bitterness? Some of you have bitterness in your heart and resentment and you know you need to forgive, but you're harboring bitterness. It's got to go. Jesus wants to chase it out. He wants to chase out that grudge, that bitterness you've been holding against that person at work or in your family. Is it alcohol or some other substance? And you've, you've abused it. Now it's become something you're dependent on. Now you need it. You can't go a day without it. And he says, no more. It's defiling the temple. And I'm going to make a whip. Not because I want to hurt you. Listen, God doesn't want to hurt you. He's not interested in harming you. He wants to make a whip and flip the tables because it's what's best for you. Isn't that what love is? Isn't love doing what is best for someone else? God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not interested in taking away all the fun. No, he just knows that when the temple is clean, when the temple is pure, it will lead to the best possible life for you. When God reigns unhindered, unrivaled in your chest, that is when you begin to experience true life, a life of joy and peace strength and the ability to love and hope and faith that stays strong in the midst of winds and waves and the problems of life. That's what's at stake. God wants something for you. He's not trying to take something from you. But I think even, even more importantly, or at least to me, if I let my temple stay defiled, because it gets defiled. Like, I'm a, I'm a sinful person. I'm bent towards sin. So if I let it stay defiled, I will miss out on intimacy with God. That's what's really at stake here, is that tight relationship of knowing him, sensing him, hearing his voice, him answering prayers, comforting you, being the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what's really at stake. Intimacy with God. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Uh, one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity. Some of you know that. Listen to what he said here. This has stuck with me all for years and years and years. Been a huge motivation for me. Hope it is to you as well. He says, God shows more of himself to some people than others. That caught my attention. Whoa. Not because he has favorites. No, no, no. But because it's impossible for him to show himself to a person whose whole mind and character, their temple, are in the wrong condition. Such a person cannot see God. Jesus said one time, the pure in heart will see God. He continues, and if a person's self, a person's temple is not kept clean and bright, his glimpse of God will be blurred like the moon seen through a dirty telescope. When I read those words years ago, I thought, no, I don't even care if I'm a pastor. Like as a Christian, I don't want to go a day through this life and have my vision of God blurred. Like I can sort of see you. Like I know you're there, but I don't really know what you're like. Like I know you speak, but I've never really heard your voice. Like I know you're real, but I don't really know what it likes to sense your presence. Like that's what happens when the temple's defiled with ego or pride or lust or anger or bitterness or resentment. 
or, or some sort of addiction. Like that's what, ha- I don't want that. That's not the Christianity that's, on, that's offered to you and it's offered to me, no. What's offered to you and to me is an intimate walk with God where we sense him and know him every single day, talking to him, him talking to us, him guiding us, leading us, instructing us. That is what is available to you. Jesus said one time, I am the living water. In the same way that physical water satisfies the physical thirst, me, myself, my spirit will satisfy your soul. But if the temple is defiled, we don't taste that living water. We don't eat that living bread of life. What would Jesus chase out of your soul? He is savage. He is just as passionate about your temple being holy as he was the temple being holy. So here's what I wanna do. Here's how I wanna wrap this up. I wanna say a prayer of repentance. And and repentance means, man, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my direction. I'm involved in stuff I shouldn't be involved with, talking to people I shouldn't talk to, eating stuff, drinking stuff I shouldn't ingest. I'm doing things I shouldn't do. And now I'm turning, I'm repenting. I'm gonna allow you to chase it out. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. If you wanna repent with me, you can. Take these words, make them your own. Just call out to God right now. All of our campuses, microsites, online, just say this prayer. Let Jesus cleanse your temple. Say, Jesus, and just invite him in right now. Jesus, chase it out. Crack the whip. Jesus, I pray you chase out pride, selfishness. Gosh, I'm so selfish. I pray that you would chase out the anger, the frustration, not getting my way. Chase it out. Flip the tables. Chase out the lust and the sexual sin, and I've been all off on that. God, cleanse my temple. Chase out anything that's in there that doesn't honor you. God, chase out the addictions. I'm so dependent upon it. The alcohol, the drugs, the television, the excessive entertainment. God, chase it out. Cleanse my temple. Whatever you find in there, you have access. Cleanse me. I want my temple to be pure. I want it to be holy. A place where your spirit dwells unhindered, unrivaled, no idols. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, here's the deal. I wanna challenge you to pray it every day. I wanna challenge you to do what King David did. God, search my heart, know my thoughts, my anxious thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me every day into the way that is eternal life and everlasting life. We are sinners, we break it, we break the law, we fail, we slip back. Every single day is a day of repentance and cleansing. And over time, what happens is that temple becomes clean place for God to dwell. Now, there's some of you here today, you are a skeptic, you're not a believer. Maybe you've been considering it. Here's what I would tell you as we wrap up. Please, please, please stay seated just for a few moments. There's people here who want to do business with God. Don't distract them. If you're here today and, you're, and you haven't let God invade your chest, here's what I'll tell you, tell you with 100% confidence. Your soul is the place that God wants to dwell. 
He wants to live there. He wants to fill you. He wants to satisfy you. Yes, forgive your sins. Yes, bring you to heaven when you die. But right now, be your God, your shepherd, your best friend, your guide, the one who loves you. And he wants to give you eternal life. And he, God loved you so much that what he did is he sent Jesus to this earth to, to take care of the problem. And the problem was your sin. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the penalty. He sacrifices himself. Why? So that you can have the Holy Spirit inside of you and be reconciled to God. And some of you haven't done that. So I'm going to say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of, of faith. It's a prayer of forgiveness. It's a prayer of reaching out to God and saying, please forgive me and make me your child. And some of you watching online at one of our campuses, this is for you right now, this moment. Will you do business with God right now? Do not wait. Take these words. Make them your own. Pray with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Take up residence in my soul. And from this day forward, simply, teach me to keep it clean. You have every right to it. You have access to every nook and cranny of it. Chase out anything that does not honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, our church wants to celebrate with you, don't they, guys? Come on, nice and loud. Amen. Best decision you'll ever make. God is on the move. Hey, if you trusted Christ at one of our campuses online, at one of our microsites right here at Greenwood, there are Bibles available to you in the back of the auditorium. If you did it online, there's a place there that you can check that says, I trusted Christ. This Bible is unique. It's a New Testament designed for people who just put their faith in Christ. So please grab that on your way out if you trusted Christ today. Let's give God glory one more time. Come on, guys. His name is Victory. The third day he robbed the grave so that we could be reunited with him. He wants to take up residence inside of us. Hey, next week, next week is week number three of Savage Jesus. We are going to be celebrating communion. We don't do it that often, so please come back next week. Bring your friends. Be part of that. It's going to be a fantastic service. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for being savage. Thank you for being inspiring and, and being willing to, to do whatever it takes to cleanse our soul. Thank you for being compassionate and gentle and loving, but also inspiring, courageous, and bold. Help us to find the proper holistic view of who you are so that we can relate to you properly. We love you. Thank you for the work that was done today in people's hearts. We give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.